0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in
1: your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
2: Hello and welcome to Squawk Fox, live from our studio and also the Ukraine Recovery Conference right here in London. These are your headlines. A week's-long rally in U.S. equities loses steam as investors lock in profits and weigh the interest rate outlook ahead of Fed Chair Jerome Powell's Congressional testimony. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt rules out government support on mortgages as he summons the country's top banking brass to address spiraling costs ahead of a crucial inflation reading
3: playing offense. SoftBank shifts its stance after years of latency as Masayoshi-san plays up the potential benefits of AI.
4: You may have thought I haven't been seen in public because I was so embarrassed to have made such losses. Actually, I'm working very hard and I'm very busy and it's now time to shift into offensive mode.
3: Deutsche Post DHL CEO Tobias Mayer downplays deglobalization trend, telling CNBC that cutting reliance on China might prove difficult. We don't really see a trend towards deglobalization, that's not the case. The manufacturing
4: value in China is so deep and has such capacity that it will be hard to replace
1: even in the coming years.
4: And European leaders place to support Ukraine for as long as it takes that as the uk prime minister rishi sunak gets ready to unveil a major new package of support for kiev here at the ukraine recovery conference we're going to be speaking exclusively to the european commission president ursula von der leyen at 10:40 central european time
2: It's another big day for the macro watchers and potentially the markets are still in this uh, this fairly strong bull market actually and whether it's uh, actually still a bear market in the backdrop, that's been the big debate for investors. We've seen some breadth in recent days but uh, the market's still looking for some direction and they're hoping that fed Chair jerome powell will offer that as he's set to begin two days of testimony all this coming before the u.s house financial services committee later on today investors will also be looking to see whether he offers any clues on future rate hikes after calling july a live meeting following this month's pause meanwhile comments from two fed board nominees overnight suggest that inflation has started to abate but remains too high Fed Governor and Vice Chair nominee Philip Jefferson said the economy is facing numerous challenges, including banking sector stress and geopolitical conflicts. And the Fed must stay focused on its 2% inflation target, Juliana.
3: Well, that uh, testimony from Jerome Powell will certainly be a focus for investors today. As for the trade yesterday, we saw the recent rally lose some steam. On Friday, Wall Street turned lower. And yesterday, when markets reopened after the three-day holiday stateside, we saw losses continue. So all three of the majors ended lower. The Dow Jones leading the losses down by about 245 points to just over 34,000. S&P 500 pulled back by about 0.5 percent. And the Nasdaq also lost ground. So back-to-back losses for all three of those major indices from a sector perspective 10 out of 11 sectors were negative led to the downside by energy that basket of stocks pulled back by about 2.3 percent In Treasury markets, yesterday we saw U.S. Treasury yields move lower, spreads narrow. The big data point yesterday was U.S. housing starts. It was a major surprise for the market, unexpectedly jumping to a 14-month high. Uh, We'll discuss what this housing data means for the U.S. economy. It was certainly something that factored into trade yesterday into the market narrative. This morning, we've got the U.S. two-year yield uh, trading around 4.7 percent, the U.S. 10-year trading around 3.7 percent. We'll just get a check on uh, that two-year, make sure that is the correct chart this morning now in terms of dollar crosses what's happening in fx markets we've got sterling dollar holding steady ahead of the uk inflation report we're going to get today and of course ahead of the bank of england meeting tomorrow euro dollar also flat this morning 109.15. Uh, dollars yen is trading more firmly this morning just under 142 in commodity markets we saw a pullback in oil yesterday just modestly amid the broader risk off trade which of course saw those equities move lower as you just saw we're seeing a bit of a bounce back this morning Brand up a six tenths of a percent seventy six dollars a barrel WTI also trading higher by about seven tenths of a percent gold holding steady in overnight trade in Asia we've got uh, the hang Seng underperforming yet again down nearly two percent Shanghai Composite down by about four tenths of a percent And we do have a bright spot on the board in the Japanese market Nikkei 225 bucking the trend up eight tenths of a percent or 266 points what does it all mean for Europe? Well, uh, this morning we are looking at a, a bit of a bounce back in Europe. Yesterday, European equities followed Asia lower. The Stoxx 600 ended 0.6% lower, its second negative session in a row. So a little bit of a bounce back from that, but nothing major indicated at this stage. As for U.S. futures, uh, we are looking similar to what we've got here in Europe, a modest uh, recovery in store at this early hour. The S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq all poised to open higher as investors turn their attention to that testimony from Jerome Powell. Just
2: exactly what are we going to glean and how relevant will it be for market participants? Daniel Casali joins us. Chief Investment Strategist at Evelyn Partners. And Daniel, I've seen both sides of the coin here. Some investors think that this is just about everything, still what the Fed is going to be doing on rates from here. Others are saying, look, does it really matter? We know what the direction is. We've got an economy that's been going to be growing slower from here. We've got sticky inflation still to deal with. Just get the narrative right. We've still got growth coming through the system, though. So what do you think of what Jay Powell is going to be talking about today and how significant it will be for markets?
4: Uh, morning. Yes, I think uh, when we look at uh, inflation in the US, the important point here is basically half. So it was 9.1% back in June. It's now down to about 4%. And the second most important point is that we're towards the end of the Fed, Fed hiking cycle. So whether they raise raised by 25 basis points in July, I think that's a moot point. But the point here is that uh, they have really hit the end of this hiking cycle. And I think markets could get more assurity from that with lower inflation and a peak in the rate hiking cycle, uh, this gives at least a little bit more visibility on the uh, forward trajectory of growth
2: dundra just how uh, friendly is the fed at this point for markets that's also been in the backdrop as we've been debating whether this is truly a bull market that can show even stronger maturity characteristics from here and it's been noted that the russell 2000 and the equal weighted s p 500 have actually been outperforming some of those big tech names just in recent weeks which is uh, demonstrating some breadth that there's appetite for investors to get back in at this point What do you make of uh, just whether that support can go the distance, given that we've got this very pivotal discussion from Powell?
4: Well, I think there's two points to make here. Firstly, we went back to uh, early June. We actually hit the bull market. Uh, This is where the S&P 500 rose 20% from its low in October uh, to just over 20% now. Uh, This is just nine months into a bull market. And at Evelyn Partners, we look back at the previous bull markets going back to 1970, and there were seven of them. The average uh, length of a bull market is around five and a half years. So we're still in the early stages. In other words, once stocks enter a bull market, the history shows that these animal spirits take over. And this provides stimulus to the real economy by lifting consumer and business confidence to drive the longer market rally. The second point to make here is yes, uh, the rally has been quite narrowly led by the artificial intelligence themes, but should investors' uh, sentiments sour this theme, this could drag down the overall market. However, Uh, Evelyn Partners, we do look at the technicals. We find that there is growing evidence that the AI-led rally is spilling over into the broader market. So for example, over 70% of the companies in the S&P 500 have recorded positive returns over the past 12 months. So that does suggest to us that the market is starting to broaden out a little bit.
3: Daniel, one of the big risks that we've all been talking about in this higher-rate environment has been housing across all Western economies. Yesterday in the U.S., we got a pretty blockbuster housing starts number. It was off the charts, much stronger than anybody had expected. What do we do with this number? What do we read into it? Does it suggest that the housing market potentially has bottomed out? And I wonder if this adds to the bull thesis.
4: I think the key point here, it tells us that the consumer is still strong. Uh, in terms of their spending power, if you look at uh, economic, uh, if you look at excess savings uh, that uh, consumers have since uh, the COVID era of policies, we find in the US they're roughly around six percent; there's seven percent in Eurozone, eight in the eight percent in the UK. And what that suggests to us, with a full employment uh, in these mark in these economies, it does suggest that consumers remain very resilient, uh, and that suggests any sort of risk of an economic hard landing. Uh, has diminished over the past uh, six to 12 months. Well,
3: it does feel like how much firepower the U.S. consumer has left is central to where the U.S. economy goes from here. And I take your point, yes, the consumer has been resilient, but you also have to, uh, you know, acknowledge that U.S. credit card debt now stands at a record level and uh, APR rates at a record as well, I believe north of 20%. So clearly there are still some risks in the system.
4: Yes, I mean, when we look at... uh the consumer. We're looking at the consumer in aggregate, while you while consumer credit has obviously picked up. Uh, if you want to look at the overall uh, debt to the consumer, which also includes mortgages, these have been significantly reduced since the global financial crisis in 2008. It's also worth bearing in mind that uh, when we had COVID-era policies, uh, mortgages were refinanced at very low levels. So, for example, if you want to look at how many mortgages that are paying more than six percent, the mortgage rate currently six point eight percent. It's only 7% of outstanding mortgages. The bulk of mortgages in the US are rates at 5% or lower. So what that tells us is that uh, consumers have a little bit of a cushion against these higher interest rates or the interest rates will happen with a longer lag.
2: Just give us a view on the dollar as well, because the dollar's rolled over in recent weeks. Uh, we look to uh, whether there could be any support coming through on that interest rate story if we have a hawkish pal. Do you think dollar is on course for a lower trade from here?
4: Yeah, our view, Evelyn Partners, is the dollar's got further to go down. Uh, there's a couple of points here. Firstly, the Fed has paused in interest rates, uh, while other central banks like the Bank of England will know earlier uh, later on Thursday that they're going to raise interest rates again and in subsequent meetings. The same thing for the ETB. They're sounding hawkish as well. So when we look at that interest rate spread between the US and, uh, say, for example, the UK or Eurozone, that's continuing to narrow, and that's driving down the dollar index. And the second thing is, if we have a better growth outlook, given that the dollar is a counter cyclical currency and strengthens in times of risk aversion, uh, it just t- tells us that uh, with a stronger economic growth environment, the dollar is likely to go down. So, with rates narrowing, with growth improving, this is generally not good for the greenback.
2: Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today. Daniel Cassani, Chief Investment Strategist at Evelyn Partners. Uh, Let's move on. uh, For I think we're going to take a quick look at GILTS too in in the moment and also what we're going to see on the UK market this week. It's a big one.
3: It's certainly a big one and it's all going to kick off this afternoon. We've got UK inflation. But first, let's bring you a story that's come through over the last 24 hours. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has ruled out providing significant government aid for homeowners struggling with soaring mortgage costs, but will reportedly meet with major banks on Friday to discuss the issue. The government fears offering mortgage relief schemes could prolong inflationary pressures and instead is calling on lenders to offer more support. On Monday, the cost of a two-year fixed-rate mortgage in Britain rose above 6 percent for the first time since December, while one Conservative MP warned a mortgage bomb is about to go off. The UK's May inflation print will be published in just a, an hour or so, less than an hour in fact, with headline CPI expected to fall to 8.4% and core inflation to hold at 6.8%. Investor attention will then turn to the Bank of England, which is expected to raise rates by thir- on Thursday by another 25 basis points to 4.75%, the highest level since
2: 2008. Let's take another <laughs> quick check on gilts at this point after that sort of language. And you can imagine a that is doing mortgage bomb. I mean, it's hardly uh, rational language is it? it is telling you about something explosive coming to the mortgage market in that context this is what uh, we are seeing on the bond markets 4.93 percent so we are very close to the five percent mark on the 10-year 4.32 4.44 on the 30-year at the long end sterling in this context uh high yields typically mean higher currency and we are 127.60 this morning so we're holding the line versus the dollar And a look at the FTSE, there can be an inverse correlation at times between strength and sterling and how the FTSE performs. We're 7,569, so you can see we're off the highs that we've had in recent um, months and back below the 7,600 point mark. But is that really a sterling story or is it around the resources? The cyclical side would be one of the points I would make here. In terms of what we've got going on, uh, the language is fierce. And I think uh, the media, the the broader media has been all over this story because the impact on Main Street. And there are a lot of phrases here that we talk about, the lag effect of monetary policy. This is what we're talking about. The lag effect is that people didn't feel the interest rate hikes that we've had because they were sitting on fixed mortgages and elements that have been inflation they've been feeling that heat but they haven't felt the the weight of monetary policy because there's been a buffer and that has just been time now time has meant that some of those fixed-rate mortgages roll over so the full weight of the monetary policy will hit various quarters of the economy the other phrase is Main Street catching up to Wall Street well again Wall Street has been very aware of the interest rate increases we've had and of course that stretches across to the UK Again, Main Street hasn't really paid as much attention to the yield story, and suddenly it's front page of every major newspaper. It's in every major bulletin, and Main Street is now catching up to what Wall Street has been trading on for many months now.
3: And, and the problem with the UK housing market is that most mortgages are short term, unlike the US, where the average mortgage is a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Households there have been able to lock in for you know a, a large part of that household. Uh, of households lock in ultra low interest rates for 30 years here in the UK, completely different story. And in terms of the scale of the problem, to come back to your, you know, your opening comment about the language that, that a mortgage bomb is about to explode, over 1 million households face higher mortgage payments when they come off fixed term mortgages by the end of the year, and remortgaging costs next year we could see them rise by 2,900 pounds average in annual payments. That's a huge increase for an average household.
2: Now, if you've got a tight labour market, still. Doesn't that put pressure back on employers? Because if people are feeling the squeeze, the first thing they're going to do in a tight labour market is come back to their employer and say, can I have another pay rise, please? And as we talk about a wage price spiral, you've got to say, does that end unless the tight labour market gets corrected from here? One of the other points I just wanted to bring into the conversation was around the lag effect. And obviously, when it comes to the UK, because of the tight labour market, some supply chain issues, which some commentators still put down to Brexit, that this challenge around sticky inflation is a little bit harder than elsewhere. Uh, I was looking at uh, some comments from the Japanese this morning and they were giving us a timeline on when they think prices will start to turn and one member was talking about the impact of falling raw material prices on CPI will appear with a lag of about nine months and saying likely to appear in the CPI data from July onwards. Uh, so. I think this is fascinating as we still look for other effects here around the lag, not just on the mortgage side having that impact on demand, but on some of the other inputs in the supply chain. Could that start to alleviate? Obviously, the wholesale energy price story is starting to abate too, but the commodity side, that'll be interesting to see how that shows up in supply mm. chains.
3: Well, coming back to your comment about um, this you know, this dynamic where households facing higher mortgage costs will go to their employers and ask for higher wages. That's exactly what uh, policymakers are trying to prevent from happening. So what are the options? That's where this story around Jeremy Hunt comes into play. Uh, do you play with the mortgage side of things, and is that where the fiscal authorities can come in? Is it, Are we going to see intervention from the government to try to help support households on the mortgage side of things to prevent them from going to their employers, people go from going to their employers and asking for higher wages? But the problem there is if you provide support, outright support, then you could be fueling the inflation beast.
2: This goes very much in line with the narrative we've had around what do you do in terms of monetary policy do you have a recession or do you in fact try and avoid it at all costs and that's of course where central banks have been for many years let's try and skirt around any of that pain that that fall in economic performance but again do people need to have unfortunately the harsh lesson that if you commit to fairly large amounts of credit that conditions can change on the ground is it one of those situations where the hand-holding actually encourages worse behavior down the track and do we need a shakeout of the system we've been talking about it in terms of zombie banks, zombie companies, but same story with consumers now. And it is a very harsh conversation to have. But if we get through this crisis, there's handholding. The banks also have been uh, encouraged to speak to some of their um, customers as well. What happens next time? Do we see more and more credit than taken out? Unaffordable credit because somebody will always be there to bail us out, whether that's the government, whether it's central banks or whether it's the bankers themselves.
3: Moral hazard on the table once again as a risk.
2: Coming up on the show, from computer chips to comic strips, SoftBank's Masayoshi-san is on the offensive after a bullish performance at the firm's AGM. We'll discuss.
3: And as we go to break, today is the longest day of the year. For the Northern Hemisphere, we leave you with some pictures from summer solstice celebrations at Stonehenge here in the UK. EU Competition Commissioner Margareta Vestager is in the running for the top job at the European Investment Bank. In a statement to CNBC, Vestager said she welcomed the Danish government's decision to nominate her for the job. Vestager has been at the forefront of European antitrust policy for almost a decade, having overseen a clampdown and several multi-billion dollar fines levied against some of Silicon Valley's biggest names. We will hear from Margaret Vestager later this morning. Don't miss that exclusive interview on Worldwide Exchange at 11.15 CET.
2: SoftBank touched the top of the Nikkei in early Asian trade after bullish comments from CEO Masayoshi Sun at the firm's annual general meeting. Sun tried to draw a line under the tech giant's more than $6.5 billion loss in its last four-year report. Speaking to investors, Sun talked up the prospects for AI.
4: We're ready to shift into offensive mode. In the past few years, we focused on being defensive. We in fact have built up cash to 5 trillion yen. Three years ago, we didn't have a lot of cash on hand. But because we've been in defensive mode, we've now built it up to 5 trillion yen. Now we're ready to shift into offensive mode, and I'm very excited about that.
2: Arjun has joined us around the set. Other than learning that uh, he's biding his time with a whole bunch of AI, chat GBT just uh, whiling away the time uh, with the, the technology and stuffing AI into every portfolio company he's got, what else did we learn from the AGM? <laughs> well,
0: I like to have this image of Massa. It's never a dull day. That, you know, ma- the past sort of eight months, we've not really seen him on any of SoftBank's earnings scores. I just like have this idea that he's sort of been in a cave somewhere, <laughs> biding his time, licking his wounds after those record losses at the Vision Fund. Now, this cave clearly has Wi Fi because he's been on chat GPT uh, and looking using it uh, to write the new adventures of Astro Boy, which is a Japanese manga. He said that he thinks that it is almost as if the author has wrote it. He's also been spending the last eight months apparently coming up with inventions uh, via ARM, the uh, chip subsidiary for SoftBank, uh, which apparently he's also filed patents for. So it's been a, a, an enlightening time for Masa. He's now out again talking about offense mode. Now, over the past few months, there have been record losses at the Vision Fund have continued. Uh, the company has trimmed some of the investments it's doing. It sold off its stake in Alibaba to raise funds. And now it feels it's in a position from, from a cash point of view to go back into the market and make those investments. And clearly for Masayoshi Sun and SoftBank, artificial intelligence is the area uh, that he feels it is going to bring SoftBank the big returns uh, over the next few years. Now, I think it'll be interesting to look at how they go about this strategy. Now, SoftBank has really been burnt uh, in the past by a number of bad investments. WeWork and some of the Chinese tech companies which have been hit by China's uh, technology crackdown. But will they be a little bit more prudent now? That is the message that's been coming from the company the past few months. They've learned some lessons. Uh, they're gonna go into the market with a lot more of a, of a prudent strategy, maybe not so much those massive valuations we were used to when SoftBank entered a funding round. So with AI, with the hype around it, it's gonna be interesting to see how, how SoftBank step forward with this. And I think that they're, they're likely, if they are to satisfy investors, take a bit more uh, of, a, of a conservative approach, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I'm not just licking my wounds because of those big losses, but I've been very busy.
0: Very busy.
2: <laughs> Arjun, we'll let you go back and be very busy for a while. We'll talk to you a little bit later on. Now, creatives at this year's Canned Lines Festival are discussing how to harness opportunities from technological advancements in AI, as well as potential negatives to the technology. I asked the president and CEO of TBWA Worldwide, Troy Runan, about the potential impact of AI on advertising campaigns.
1: What it's really doing right now is accelerating around insight and around strategy and that's primarily where it's been but it's also be, uh, being quite a great tool as a creative catalyst. I think it's, uh, it's been certainly used to train a lot, I think to be able to access information quickly, gather insight around audiences and then being used I think a little bit more uh, in more recent times around the creative side.
2: How is AI the next leg in terms of those insights?
1: So if you take, uh, with our company, uh, the methodology we have around disruption, the cultural intelligence we have, our clients' data, is really being able to put that into one place to be able to aggregate that information and then be able to make sure that you can give access to the relevant parties that, uh, that can easily use that and then immediately be proactive about a business initiative or a strategy that they want to go and explore.
2: One of the big messages that jumped out to me around AI was that it can allow brands to become more bespoke in their offering, even for, for brands that typically have been on the page of mass marketing. How does that then impact mm. the advertising strategy if you're going for more niche marketing?
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, if I have any concerns, I think it's going to be that we'll get to more places in a sea of sameness, you know, when we get down to the creative side of things.
2: So are you saying that you worry that AI has the potential to make the advertising industry lazy?
1: No, I definitely don't think that at all. No, I think actually it's a very powerful tool for us, and I think it's going to be uh, certainly a place where, again, I think it's going to make information more nimble, more accessible, <laughs> And I think it's going to provide you know, much more of an aggregated insight. So I, I think the reverse, quite frankly.
3: Global president of Mars Wrigley, Andrew Clark, told CNBC more caution is needed in the global adoption of AI.
1: I think on AI uh, specifically, I, I would see this as an opportunity. Of course, we need to be careful. We've been using AI for, for many years in our business, all the way through our value chain, back to our farmers. and helping us to look at pests and disease for cocoa into our factories where we've been using digital twins all the way through to obviously the consumer and you're seeing a lot more of that this week with media and creative coming together but I think generative AI brings another uh, cautionary note as well I would again look at this from a positive point of view how can it help us to be more creative how can it help us to reach consumers in new and different ways but we're all learning and I think my, my advice would be don't delegate this really take responsibility for it yourself as a, as a leader uh, and, and make a difference and